You are listening to the Fur Road Christian Church Podcast. Our mission is to love God and love people. For more information about Fur Road, visit furroadcc.org. That is F-I-R-R-O-A-D-C-C dot org. Now for this week's message. I am excited to start a new series today. I think it's going to be really good stuff, and uh, I think you'll enjoy it and and hopefully learn or be reminded of some really important things. Here's the thing. There are a lot of different aspects of our Christian faith, and, and they're all kind of intertwined, and, and they are all important. Um, you kind of have the, the side of dig deep theological um, side of things, and then you have kind of the more practical uh, nuts and bolts side of things. And, and don't get me wrong, I like them both. And, and like I said, they're both important. But if I had to hang my hat on one or the other, I'd, I would pick the practical faith and action side of things. And so that's why I'm excited that we'll be going through the book of James for the next nine weeks because it is a, a super practical, hard-hitting type of book. The series is simply called Faith in Action. And we're going to be looking at a bunch of just practical areas of you know, putting our faith in action for the next couple th- months. Uh, I think the book of James is kind of a blue-collar, roll-up-your-sleeves-and-get-to-work kind of feel. So that, that's what our display is about up here. It's about getting to work uh, on our faith and, and living that faith out. And so let's do this. You guys ready? Uh, let me start by giving you a little background on the book of James. It, it was written by James. And uh, there actually were a lot of different James mentioned in the New Testament. But most scholars believe that the most likely author of the book of James was the oldest brother of Jesus. Now, if you remember, his brothers didn't always even believe that Jesus was anyone else but their brother uh, when Jesus was still alive. Um, James, along with his brothers, they, they didn't understand and, and even challenge Jesus, and, and I don't blame them. If my brother started making some wild claims about being the Son of God, I, I probably would have, wouldn't have believed him either. I would have tried to wrestle him down and beat on him a little bit. And, uh, of course, in my case, I would have to get up and run because my brother was a lot bigger and older than I was. But I I was a little bit faster than him, so I had a chance. My brother, speaking of my brother, he definitely made me pay the price for being the youngest brother. Um, Things like really hard Dutch rubs, you know, with your knuckles, you rub them on your scalp. That's probably why I don't have much hair today. He'd pound on my chest really hard, you know, like that. And uh, I think you call them wedgies around here. We used to call them uh, snuggies, but you know what they are. My brother would uh, lift me off the ground, giving me a snuggie, and and, and he ripped more than one pair of underwear doing that. True story. Um, So that's my traumatic childhood for you. I'm sure that's more information you wanted to hear. So, So James and Jesus were brothers and James most likely became a believer when Jesus made an appearance to him after his resurrection. Okay, 1 Corinthians 15, 7 specifically mentioned that Jesus appeared to James. And so I'm sure that was a huge pivotal moment for him. And once James was convinced that Jesus was the Messiah, he jumped in with both feet. Okay, he eventually became one of the leaders in the early church. He, he was also part of what has been called the Council of Jerusalem in about the year 50. Uh, which basically helped decide that Gentile Christians were were not obligated to follow uh, most of the Mosaic law, among other things. Um, We don't have any record of this in the Bible, but tradition tells us that James was martyred in AD 62. 
And the story is that the Pharisees in Jerusalem so hated James's testimony for Christ that they had him cast down from the temple and, and then beaten to death with clubs. And so James died for his faith in Jesus. The book of James was written with a, a Jewish Christian audience in mind originally and has a very Jewish flavor to it uh, in its wording. In, in verse 1 it says, To the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. Okay, so this is a reference to the, the original 12 tribes of Israel. But now James is most likely referring to the Jewish Christian church that was scattered after Stephen was martyred. And, and the church began to face uh, a lot of trials and persecution. And so as one of the leaders in the Jerusalem church, James wrote as a pastor to instruct and encourage his dispersed people in, in the face of their difficulties. Now he writes to give them some practical helps. He, he writes to encourage them to put their faith into action. He writes to, to encourage them to, to hang in there. And, and so we're going to look at some of this practical information each week. Hopefully it's going to help you in your walk with Christ. And, and these aren't just suggestions from James. These are imperatives. Okay, he's saying, guys, this is what it should look like to live for Christ. Okay, this isn't touchy-feely. If, if you feel like it kind of stuff, um, these are commands about the proper way of living the Christian life. So it's a very challenging book. And so let's take a look at the first part of James 1 today, Faith in Action, week number one, Lessons from James. Okay, so the first lesson is really fun. Um, and, and so get ready for this. It's all about joy. And joy is a good thing, right? Uh, we all want to have joy in our lives. But this isn't the typical kind of joy that we think about. Okay, here's the lesson. You can be joyful even through really tough times. Okay, yeah, I said that right. We can learn to be joyful through the really difficult, even gut-wrenching times. Okay, listen to what it says in verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that it may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Okay, that doesn't seem to make sense at first, does it? How in the world are we supposed to be joyful through hard times and trials? You know, the believers that James was talking to uh, were facing very real persecution for being followers of Christ. Their lives were even at risk. And he's saying, guys, it, it is actually a good thing to be able to suffer in the name of Jesus. It's an honor to suffer for Jesus. Now, we're going to face different kinds of trials than they were facing in the early church space. Most likely, our lives are not going to be in danger because of our faith, but we will face different kinds of difficult trials. And to be honest, it is hard not to face those trials with a little bit of bitter sarcasm, if we're not careful. You know, to, it's easy to say things like, oh, oh, yeah, God, thank you so much that I got laid off, and it's so great to not have the money I need to pay my bills. That, that's so awesome. Or, or, you know, thank you, God, that I've been sick all week, and I've been puking my guts out. So great. I'm so joyful. Okay, and we think, really, I'm, I'm supposed to be joyful in those kind of situations? How in the world do you do that? How is that even possible? So what in the world is James talking about here? Well, I think it's a different kind of joy uh, than we, we normally think about. This isn't a joy of, of happiness like we experience when a, a child is born or, or when we get married or, or whatever it might be. We get a promotion at work. It's a joy of knowing that God is going to help you through a tough situation. It's a joy of knowing that God 
is with you. It's a, a joy of knowing that you're, you're going to be able to look back on that situation later, knowing that you are stronger because of it, and, and you can help others. And so it, it's a different kind of joy. It's a joy of learning to trust in Jesus with your whole life in, in the good times and the bad times. But it's not easy. Okay, I'm not trying to say this is easy. And in fact, these verses, I think, list some different benefits of trials. I want to look at that kind of as a, a sub thing here. So benefits of trials. First of all, you develop perseverance. Okay, you dig deep in your faith, often out of pure necessity. You know, you're just clinging on, and, and you, you just hang in there um, for, with God's help. And, and you learn to have this kind of deep dependence on God, and, and you grow from it. Okay, today's message is called Feel the Burn, and here's why I got the idea for the, the title. You know, when you lift weights or, or you do exercise, you know, your, your muscles burn, and your muscles actually feel weak when you're done, uh, you know, after making them burn. The immediate effect is that you feel like, you, you know, you have noodles for arms or legs. Uh, feels like you haven't done any good, but if you stick with it and you keep working those muscles out over time, you get stronger. But you have to feel the burn first. It, it's the uh, no pain, no gain kind of thing. You know, I remember in track in high school, practicing for the 400-meter dash, which was my best distance, but it's a race that just killed me. And I really didn't like it at all. It was just brutal. And, and we'd go through these grueling workouts so we'd be ready for the race. And, and like I said, it wasn't fun at all. I mean, it was just hard. But it was at least a little bit rewarding when you would get in the race and your time would, would get a little better because you felt the burn in practice. Okay, You, you went through the pain and, and it paid off. Now, to be honest, if I had to do it over again, I think I probably would have gone out for golf if it was at the same season, but that's a different story. Um, I'm not totally sure if that pain was worth the gain. I still golf, but I don't run. So anyway, but in our Christian lives, when we go through struggles, you do get strong. You develop perseverance. Another benefit is that you grow in your faith, okay? How many of you want to stay baby Christians? Okay, probably shouldn't admit it if you do, okay? We don't want to stay immature, right? Kids don't want to stay young either. They always want to grow up. They always want to be at the next stage. And parents want them to stop growing up. And then they say, slow down, um, but kids look forward to being older. I hope that we have that same desire to grow up quickly in our faith. Okay, trials actually help accelerate our growth process. They, they help us become mature and complete, and we should all want that. Okay, I, I'm afraid that so many Christians are just content to stay right where they're at. Um, but our goal should be to grow, and our trials help us grow. Another benefit is, is that you're better equipped to handle tough situations. Okay, I've often said it, or heard it said that God won't give you more than you can handle. I don't really agree with that statement. I do think there's nothing you can't handle when God is helping you. Okay, when, when you go through tough trials, you, you learn to endure and, and trust in Jesus. You realize that you can't always do it on your own, but, but you find out that you can make it with Jesus. And, and I think there's joy in that. And the ultimate benefit is this. You receive the crown of life. Okay, here's the good news. When you, when you move down to verse 12 in our chapter, here's what it says. It's good stuff. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. 
Yeah, that's good, right? You see, any trial in this life is temporary. It, it can't be any longer than our time here on this earth. And our crown of life is eternal. And that can't be taken away no matter what. You, you get to be in heaven for all eternity. And that's something to be joyful about, isn't it? When, you know, when you bake a cake, the, the ingredients by themselves aren't that good. Like if you just started digging into something, you don't just eat a bunch of flour by itself or, or, or a stick of butter, although some people might, but, or baking powder or, or vanilla. You don't just drink a bunch of vanilla. It'd be terrible. Or, or you just have a big scoop of sugar. Okay, Th those things on their own aren't that good. But, um, you know, I act like I know how to make a cake, which I really don't. But... Uh, in theory, if you know how to put these things together and, and bake them, it's really good then once you bake them, right? And so I just want to remind you that, that everything you go through on the, this earth is temporary, and those things are hard on their, their own. But in the big picture, it's all good. Heaven is eternal. Don't ever forget that. You're working towards an eternal crown of life, and that makes everything on this earth worth it in the end. The cake is coming, and that should bring you joy. Okay, second lesson from James is, is that, we, that we, true wisdom comes only from God. Okay, true wisdom comes only from God. There are a lot of things that the world will try to teach you. Okay, things that may seem really wise or smart at the time, but in the end, it turns out they aren't so wise after all. And after a while, you discover that, that many of these things aren't really from God. And so we need to understand that true wisdom comes from God. Let's, let's read starting in verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Okay, have you ever asked anyone for advice, but you really didn't want their advice? Okay, you really just wanted them to kind of tell you what you wanted to hear. For example, you ask someone that, that knows about cars for advice on buying a potential car, which I would do because I, I'm not that, I don't know anything about cars. Check their tires. But, um, so you ask somebody, hey, do, what do you think about this car? I, I really like it. Do you think it looks good? Do you think I should buy it? And they look at it and think about it. Maybe they test drive it. And they say, no, I, don't, I really don't think you should. Okay, it, it has a lot of miles. Seems like it has a lot of issues. I think it's just going to have some problems. I think it's going to be a headache. And you say, yeah, but it's really cool looking and, and I really like it. And they, they say, yeah, I just don't think it's a good car. And I don't think it's worth the money. And in the end you say, ah, yeah, I don't, they really don't know what they're talking about. I'm just going to buy the car. And you buy it and it turns out just being this money pit for you. Okay, I think we do the same thing with God. We say, God, hey, will you please give me some wisdom? And, and uh, I don't know what to do in this situation, but we really just want God to tell us what we want to hear, what we are, really want to do, and we've already decided. It, it's like the old story, I know you've heard this one, but you know, the man who was in a bad flood, and he, he had to go up on the roof of his house because the waters were rising, so he, he prayed that God would save him. And, and so, first of all, this guy in a Canoe comes along to rescue him, and, and he says, no, thanks, God's going to save me. And then a, a motorboat came along and tried to save him, but once again he said, no, thanks, God's going to save me. And then finally a helicopter came to rescue him, and, and once again, again he said, no, thanks, God's going to save me. And finally he died, and when the man got to heaven, he asked God why he hadn't saved him. And God said, well, I sent a canoe, a boat, and a helicopter. What else could I have done? 
Okay, I think that's what we do. We, we ask God for help, and, and he gives us answers, and, and we say, no, no, not that answer, God. I, I want a different answer. You know, give, give me some different wisdom. Guys, God wants to guide you, but, but you have to be willing to follow what he says. And it's, it will often be pretty subtle. And so you have to really pray and, and look and, and listen and, and, and repeat the process. But he will guide you if you honestly ask him. It often comes through his word. Okay, we, we have an awesome book called the Bible that has a lot of answers in it. Um, sometimes God uses other believers to help guide us as well. But true wisdom comes from God. Okay, there's a third lesson from this week. It's this, earthly riches are temporary. Okay, let's start reading in verse 9. Believers in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position, but the rich should take pride in their humiliation, since they will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich will fade away even while they go about their business. Okay, here James seems to be kind of talking crazy again, okay? First he was talking about being joy, joyful in hard situations. Now he's saying, hey, you know, that really you're, you're pretty low. If, if you're pretty low in the world's eyes as far as wealth goes, then you're actually in a great situation. You know, rejoice in that. And you think, what? Some of you are thinking, well, well that's sweet because I must be the top dog then because I am sure not rich. But that kind of goes completely against our, our American way of thinking, doesn't it? The goal is to get ahead, and, and each generation is supposed to do better than the last generation. And the goal is to be comfortable and, and not have to worry about anything. And so just keep this in mind, guys. Money does not give you a higher status in God's eyes. Okay, Money does not give you a higher status in God's eyes. In fact, ultimately, James tells us that wealth is going to fade away. It has no importance in God's eyes when it comes to following him. He wants your heart. Now, that doesn't mean we shouldn't be wise with our money and, and be good stewards with our money. And there are all kinds of verses about money in the Bible. It's one of the biggest topics in the Bible. So money itself is not a bad thing. But it sure has the potential to pull us away from God. So please hear me on this. Your value does not come from your wealth. Okay, Your value comes from who you are in Christ. You are defined by who you are in Jesus. In fact, we could say that about a whole lot of different things. You are not defined by your job. You aren't defined by your sins. You aren't defined by your family. You aren't defined by your past. You aren't defined by your mistakes. You are defined by who you are in Christ Jesus. Okay, And you certainly aren't defined by how much money you have in your bank account. Are you hearing me on this? Or do I need to say it again? Money and wealth are temporary. Who you are in Jesus is eternal. Amen? Okay, so earthly riches are temporary. The next lesson is very important to understand. That is that temptation comes from Satan. Okay, you need to understand that God is not up there trying to knock you down. Okay, he's not up there rubbing his hands together trying to figure out, okay, how am I going to get them to sin today? What am I going to do? Let's start in verse 13. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. 
Okay, the Greek word for tempted here is only used in these verses in the New Testament. Nowhere else. And it literally means bait, like you bait a hook when you're fishing. When you go fishing, you're literally trying to trick the fish into biting your hook, whether it's you know live bait like worms or minnows, um, or you put an artificial lure on it. You know, you're trying to trick the fish. I did a, a wedding recently, and and I got one of the best presents ever from the bride's parents. They gave me a whole basket of fishing lures. They knew I liked fishing, and and so I, I was like a kid on on Christmas morning, and I had to lay them all out and and uh, and look at them and study them. Holly thought it was pretty funny, actually, but but I was so excited about my new fishing lures. I, I got to use a few the other day. Um, but when I go fishing, I, I love trying to tempt the fish, you know, beyond what they can bear to the point where they just can't, can't resist and, and they bite my lure. Maybe they aren't even hungry, but I get them to, to go after it anyway. And I think that's what Satan likes to do in regards to sin. He tries to just kind of bait us into sinning. Okay, that's not what God does. James wants to, to clear up any misconception out there that maybe God is the one trying to get us to take the bait, that maybe God is up there just hoping we will fail. It's just not how God works. Satan, however, does want to see us fail. And he knows what bait works best for each of us, and he's going to keep using it and keep trying to get you to fail. Don't take the bait. As it says, as it says the consequences of sin can eventually be deadly. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 is a good reassurance, I think, for us in this. It says, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Okay, God doesn't cause the temptation, but he will help you, help you overcome it. When you let him, God's going to help you stand up to what Satan is trying to do to you he'll give you the strength you need he'll give you an out and on your own you're in trouble but with God's help you can do it okay, but we need to remember that temptation originates with Satan and then the next lesson in our pastor say is that the true blessings are from God okay let's read verse 16 and through 18 don't be deceived my dear brothers and sisters every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows he chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created okay james says hey guys don't forget that all the blessings in your life are from god okay don't take credit for themselves for them yourselves um, our blessings are from god you know, my kids used to have a, a book that would ask questions like, who made the stars? And the answer would be, God made the stars. And, and, and the next page would be, who made the sun? God made the sun. And so on uh, throughout the book. So uh, this is a concept that we can learn from the time we're just toddlers. Okay, but for some reason it's easy to forget about what an amazing God we have and how he's blessed us. Okay, God made the world and he's responsible for the blessings in our life. And God doesn't change. Okay, he isn't here today and gone tomorrow. He hasn't existed forever. He has existed forever and will always exist. He deserves our praise. And we need to thank him for the gifts that he's given us. And James says that God made us in a unique and special way as people. 
uh, actually above everything else he created. It says we are first fruits of all he created. Uh, I like how the message version puts this. It says that God is showing us off as the crown of all his creatures. Okay, I like that. He's showing us off. First fruits would be a, a very meaningful description uh, for the, the Jewish believers. In the Old, in the Old Testament, Jews brought the, the first fruits of their crops to the Lord uh, as an expression of kind of their devotion and obedience to God. And so here it's saying we're like God's fruits, first fruits. We're the best. He has to offer it. And I think it's a really cool thing to think about that way. But God made you, and he is so proud of what he made. And God has blessed every one of us in incredible ways. And so let's not forget that. I think sometimes we just need to stop and, and count our blessings. Okay, so five main lessons from the first part of James. Um, James chapter 1. You can be joyful even through really tough times. True wisdom comes only from God. Earthly riches are temporary. Temptation comes from Satan. And true blessings are from God. Okay, mo most of you are familiar with the old footprint, footprints in the sand poem. It's been around forever. Um, and there are actually several different versions of this poem, and we don't know for sure who originally wrote the poem and even what the original version was. And so I think it's been changed over the years. But, but I feel like it sums up well what James is teaching in this first part of James 1. So I'm going to close with that today. So one version of that poem goes like this. One night a man had a dream. He dreamed he was walking along the beach with the Lord. Across the sky flashed scenes from his life. For each scene, he noticed the two, two sets of footprints in the sand, one belonging to him and the other to the Lord. When the last scene of his life flashed before him, he looked back at the footprints in the sand. He noticed that many times along the path of his life, there was only one set of footprints. He also noticed that it happened at the very lowest and saddest times of his life. This really bothered him, and he questioned the Lord about it. Lord, you said that once I decided to follow you, you'd walk with me all the way. But I've noticed that during the most troublesome times in my life, there's only one set of footprints. I don't understand why, when I needed you most, you would leave me. The Lord replied, my precious, precious child, I love you and I would never leave you. During your times of trial and suffering, when you see only one set of footprints, it was then that I carried you. Friends, God never leaves you. He never abandons you. He's right there with you through every step of your journey. And he never stops loving you. Let's pray. Father, as we go through this uh, book of James, we thank you for the words that we can read and study. I pray that you'll just speak to us through this series. Whatever uh, each of us needs to hear, you'll help us to hear that and hear it well. And, Lord, if there's things that we need to practically put into our lives and, and to put our faith into action, help us to do that. Help us to learn to trust you better and to rely on you, um, but also to, to serve you with everything we have. We love you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right. Take care and God bless.